1: Back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson.
0: I'm pondering the measure of a man or a woman.
2: Alan Seiler. Again, I forgot to come up with the pithy thing, <laughs> from so hi. And Veronica Dashel.
1: And tonight we'll be talking about the Strange New Worlds as episode at Astra Per But first, do we have any news this week, Alan?
2: Oh my gosh, this is like the newsiest week we've had in quite a <laughs> while. Awesome. So, first of all, for the folks who live in Atlanta, Georgia, or the Southeast, our local mega convention, DragonCon, has started making announcements of actor guests. The big ones for us being five so far, Star Trek guests, four of them from Strange New Worlds. We have Anson Mount, Ethan Peck, Celia Rose Gooding, Christina Chong, and George Takai.
1: Yay!
2: I've heard of all of them.
1: Yeah, Have you? <laughs> I
2: That's have. Excellent. I'm so glad. Um, I am super excited to be yes. seeing all these folks. hmm Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, second, and this is a biggie, one of the most popular Star Trek novels ever written is called A Stitch in Time. It was written by Andrew Robinson, who, of course, as everybody knows, played a very, very particular character on Deep Space Nine, a tailor. But was he just a tailor? Was he more than a tailor? <laughs> and a new Audiobook is coming out i mean this this book is 30 years old at least and a new audiobook is coming out no it's not at least it's only 20 around, around years 20 old. years old yeah. yeah i don't know what the hell i was thinking <laughs> um, but a new audiobook is being released being read by mr robinson himself mm-hmm. it will be released on august 1st by simon and schuster as part of the ds9 30th anniversary celebration Mm-hmm. And this is like so a holy exciting. grail of Star Trek audiobooks.
1: Everyone's been yes. clamoring for this book on audio, read by Andrew Robinson for yes. years. And
2: so it's, it's delightful that that's going to come out. Finally. I mean, Garrick being one of the most popular Star Trek characters ever, mm-hmm. and to hear andrew robinson read the book and of course it's written as garrick is sort of a per- first person thing garrick is is writing a letter to bashir telling him all this stuff so this is basically going to be andrew robinson in character as garrick mm-hmm. reading this novel It's i'm so excited it's going to be amazing
1: yeah and yes. telling his life
2: story yes
1: and i haven't read the book in many years i have a copy but yes. it's it's great i mean it's well, like uh, dakot is in it um like his whole history with dakot it's yeah. It's good.
0: One of the most moving scenes in all the Trek history for me is a very short one. It's in Deep Space Nine. Spoilers. It's the one where everybody is in, they're in the prison camp. And it's when um, Dukat goes to visit his father, Albert, an Albertain. And when an Albertain talks about their childhood and he says, do you remember that day? And it's heartbreaking when Garrick says, it was the only day. Mm. One day in his life where his father came close to showing him anything approaching love. I'll never forget. A Na'vrin'tain says, "I was very proud of you that day." Right, and that was Mm -hmm. like the only thing he ever got from the man. Who man at one point said, "I should probably kill you because you're a liability (laughs) because you're a weakness for me." Right. Uh, So I agree. I'm really looking forward to that because that's just some of the most incredibly emotionally engaging stuff I've ever had around Garrick.
2: Next up, IDW is releasing a new series. Focusing on Picard's academy days. Mm-hmm. Here's the description. Before becoming the Federation's finest, Jean Luc was an ordinary student at Starfleet Academy with sights set on the stars. His path forward was charted blow his classmates out of the water on the infamous evasive maneuvers exam and graduate early. But there's a detail cadet Picard hadn't factored into his plan. The exam was a group project, and he'd need to make friends with uh, people if he stood a chance of passing. Federation starships aren't run by a party of one, after all. So this new series is um, being written by New York Times bestselling author Sam Maggs, who is known for his work for Star Wars Jedi Battle Scars and Marvel Action, a Captain Marvel novel and the first issue is being released in september so that's kind of interesting that the tv franchise is going to a starfleet academy show sometime in the future as is the idw and this is spinning off of course of the enormous success of the star trek picard series so right yeah Absolutely. Um, By series,
0: I think you mean enormously Successful* Season 3.
2: I wasn't realizing (laughs) that Season 3 carries the first two seasons along with it and made the whole thing (laughs) very successful.
0: I'm curious, in the uh, TNG episode, The First Duty, where we meet Boothby, and Picard goes to Boothby and thanks him for basically saving his Starfleet career. And we never know what that was. And of course, Picard does that for Wesley. I'm curious if they're going to adjust that because they never said what Picard did. Boothby mm-hmm. just said, You knew what to do, you knew the right thing to do. I just had to remind you to do it. I've always been curious what that was. Yeah. Well, uh-huh. from what I
2: read, Boothby is supposed to be in the series. You'll you'll at least see him. So he'd have to be hmm? He'd have to be. Exactly. There's no yeah. way he couldn't be. Right. So speaking of the enormous success of Picard season three um, in a recent interview, both Patrick Stewart and LeVar Burton have gone on record as saying how much they want a new next gen movie. And now that Paramount plus is getting into the star Trek movie business, televised movie business. um, And that's certainly a possibility. um, Mr. Stewart said, I think we could do a movie, a Picard-based movie. Now, not necessarily all about Jean-Luc Picard, but about all of us. And to take many of those wonderful elements, particularly from season three, even he thinks season three is good, (laughs) of Picard and take out what I think could be an extraordinary movie. I keep telling people and mentioning it. And so far, there's been no eager response, but it might well happen. And that would be, I think, a very appropriate way to say, And goodbye, folks. (laughs) And Burton chimed in and also said that for the most part, he thinks that the whole cast feels that same way. But he also added about uh, season three. If this is indeed it, I don't believe we could possibly have gone out on a better moment for the crew and for us as a family. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. I wouldn't say no to a new next gen movie. I I agree with both of them. I wouldn't say no to a new movie, but if there isn't one, season three is the best wrap-up possible for that
0: crew. Yeah. Also, in in that article or another one like that um, I posted, I think one thing I thought was interesting was LeVar Burton had evidently, and people have talked about it for decades, LeVar Burton had evidently been very, very unhappy about Jordy's performance with Leah Brahms Mm -hmm. and what he calls stalkerish. So as you say, Alan, he was—he actually insisted when they first approached him that he wanted that yeah. addressed. He wanted Jordy to have a healthy relationship. I think that's very cool mm-hmm. that he felt good about that.
1: Absolutely, and it's funny. I saw an interview with Anson Mount just today mm-hmm. where he was saying that, "Hey, if uh, you know negotiations break down with Chris Pine, we'd love to do a movie." Like
0: everybody's <laughs> job. Jock- <laughs>
1: like, and I'm it. okay with all of it. Everybody do a Star Trek movie. I, I'll Heck watch yeah, them man. All.
0: Absolutely. Could we be a 24th century podcast crew in a new movie? We could do that. <laughs> we'll do a movie. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> It'll be as big budget as all the other movies. I was you just wait to see us. You just wait to see us with all the special effects and all the lens flare. Oh, it's right. going to be glorious. <laughs> and one final news story. And that is, we just mentioned her a moment ago. Christina Chong has released a new single. It came out the same day. I mean, this is perfect timing. The same day that season one premiered. I'm I'm sorry. Episode one of season two premiered. And it's called Twin Flames. And uh, she is she co-wrote it with a friend. And it is a fantastic song. It's kind of a. It's kind of a poppy jazz, kind of a smoky thing. It's really cool. Twin Flames. So I would go look that up on Spotify if you have not heard it yet. It's it's well, and it's very short. It's only it's less than three minutes, but it's a very good song. And I hope everyone goes and listens to it. Awesome. And that is the news report for this week. And Keith, do we have some This Week in Trek this week?
0: Yeah, i got a couple quickly on the, um, jumping back on 18th of June, 2000, 18th of June, 1990. This was a big one. Was the debut and the premiere of the first of a two-parter called The Best of Both Worlds. Oh, yay. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've heard good things. Yeah. And boy, did everything, everything come from there. Such an incredibly, uh, incredibly relevant and seminal episode, because one is, as for those who don't remember, there was a time when shows, well, we're doing it now. Shows went away and you didn't know anything until the summer. Patrick Stewart honestly didn't know if he was coming back to the series. He was in negotiations at the time. And so at the end of one of the most exciting, if not the most exciting cliffhangers ever, when Worf is told by Riker, Mr. Worf, fire. And then you heard that great music, and it says to be continued. Honestly, Patrick Stewart himself didn't know if he was going to come back. Right. And so we could have pick, picked up again with Captain Riker of the Enterprise, which we saw in at least one alternate universe <laughs> in the episode Parallels, where Worf kept jumping all over the place. It wasn't going well. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, another one, on the 19th of June, 1968, final day of film, they put it in the can for an episode called A Mock Time. Awesome. Yeah, speaking Great about episode. Spock. Yeah, it is almost it's almost impossible to talk about the original series without looking at something that's seminal, you know. And that's yeah. like, oh, this this sets the this, the stage for everything else. Sorry, guys, I'm having a little bit of video problems here. Also, on 1960, on June 19th, final day of filming filming of a mock time. This is funny. On that same day, they started filming the Enterprise incident. Okay. Another episode dealing with Spock. Yeah which is and, the two and two, um, and
2: two f- uh, fairly good middling episodes you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: right right um the 20th of june 1967 they started filming another this is all OS stuff this when you look at informal polls and people say what star trek episode would you most like to see become a motion picture this one tends to win all the time and that's the doomsday machine okay both because of the science and the action, and all the great, you know, Brilliant. lines like "Gentlemen, beam me aboard," and all the stuff that Scotty does. Um, I, At the time, I read a quote where they said, "We thought we had just put together a pretty good episode." They did not know what that episode was going to become. Yeah, which I think is amazing. And then the last thing I have here is well, two things. On twenty second of June, nineteen sixty six, we had. The first day of filming and what became the first episode of Star Trek to ever air, it was The Man Trap. Okay. Which with the famous Salt Vampire. Right. Um, ironic about that show, it wasn't Gene Rottenberry's favorite. It wasn't the producer's favorite. Gene Rottenberry hated the music. And one of the reasons that Gene Rottenberry disliked that show was the premiere, is he said it came off like a very typical horror science mm. fiction show. Right. Not what yeah. I wanted Star Trek to be. Yeah. Uh, and then the very last thing on um, the 22nd of June 1966 was the last day of filming of The Enemy Within. Oh, the wow. First, the first of the famous transport accidents.
1: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Started, yeah, that started the whole you want to use a transporter, the one that split Kirk into two halves, good and evil.
1: This is a good time of year for Star Trek episodes.
0: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Old
1: and new. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the week in Trek history. All right. Well, if you're listening
1: on the audio podcast, we'll take a quick break right here and promote a fellow ESO network podcast show, but don't go away because we'll be discussing the strange new worlds episode at Astra Aspera.
0: The Earth Station One podcast has been bringing your inner geek out to play for the past 13 years. Over this time, we've seen things change in the world of geek and podcasting alike. And your friends here at ESO are looking to change also. We are now giving you double the fun by coming to you twice a week. And not just in audio, but now you can see our lovely faces up on YouTube. Join Mike and Mike as we celebrate our 700th episode and beyond. Station One is proud to be a founding member of the ESO Network. spoilers. (laughs) spoilers.
2: <laughs> the dog was looking at you like, well, what are you doing?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: the I was just thinking for a, for a spoiler warning, we should have the the little bell with the little hammer that they <laughs> ring to, to get court in session.
0: That'd be awesome. <laughs>
2: Absolutely. Yeah, we're talking this week about Ad Astra Aspera," the
1: second episode of season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. And I gotta say, man, this is a great episode. Holy
0: very, smokes. Very you know, I was, we were yeah, saying...
2: We were saying in last week's show that when they finally get around to addressing Una and and Pike, we hope it's a courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. Buddy, we got a courtroom drama. Yeah. And I, I've oh. said
1: on the show forever, I love Star Trek episodes yeah. where they're in a room talking. Yes. And just tell a yes. great sci-fi story. And I thought they did a yes. good job of that here. And I've been saying about, you know, the Una thing, like, yes, do a courtroom episode, but use it, yes. you know, to attack Starfleet and the Federation's prejudices that remain. And that's exactly what they did. Oh and they made god. it analogous to a lot of different prejudices that yes. we're facing here on Earth. Mm-hmm. Oh my god.
0: I um I have many times, honestly, as you know, criticized, not criticized. I've commented on new Star Trek because I feel it's sometimes too heavy-handed, is that they don't understand subtlety. Right. Charles, I agree here because they did Star Trek the best way Star Trek does, they 100 percent address prejudices that we can mm-hmm. all relate to in mm-hmm. any time period, but right. you didn't do the bop bop on the head in how mm-hmm. they do it. That's an incredible tightrope to to walk. And they pulled it off Mm -hmm. just incredibly well. Mm
2: -hmm. I have a a shocking, shocking comment from my buddy, Adam Levenstein, who says this episode knocked Strange New Worlds over (sighs) DS9 for me. I don't say uh, that lightly. Strange New Worlds has been absolutely fantastic from start to current. Wow. Come on, Adam, you
0: Dude. can't compare one episode against um, Move Along Home. Come on now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Stop.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, I did
1: a good job in this episode of weaving in, yeah. you know, into the dialogue, things like mm-hmm. passing or things like finding a friendly doctor or things like, um, I mean, just th- the different things they worked in. Where you could you could look at it as I mean a lot of different um people who were being subjugated and people who were facing you know prejudice today.
0: You know? Yeah. yeah. And the thing about passing, as 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 you all know, as you all probably know, passing is a term in the black community and has mm-hmm. been for centuries. And it refers to for us, it refers to black people who are so light skinned, they could pass as other. Right. You now most people right. would say they passed for white, but most of the time they did, and they would say something like, Well, oh, I'm from Italy or <laughs> Greece. Mm-hmm. A lot of American yahoos go, oh, okay, whatever, Greece, that makes sense to me. And for a long time during slavery and even after slavery, some Black people, not a whole lot, but enough Black people would pass. Mm-hmm. Because, frankly, there's a choice of do you want to be subject to Jim Crow and racism and hatred, or do you want to have a better life? Uh, there's a whole couple of movies that came out in Hollywood history called Imitation of Life, as a matter of fact, that has to deal with that. It deals with a young Black girl who's so light-skinned, she passes for white. Right. And basically distances herself from her mother, who's very dark-skinned, and spends her life pretending her mother is her nanny or her maid and doesn't want her mother around to ruin the good life she's had. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when Una said, I could pass, that hit me and was very resonant. But as you said, that could apply to anyone. It could apply mm-hmm. to someone who has a different sexuality. You right. can't look at a person and tell whether they're straight or gay mm-hmm. or whatever. And yeah. some people... George Decay, George Decay. I might always get that wrong. Takei.
2: Takei. Okay. George Decay. I said it wrong earlier. My yeah. Bad. <laughs> yeah.
0: George Decay himself said that sometimes in his life. And he's like, you know, I don't walk in a room and people know I'm gay. And he had to struggle with the, but do I tell people? And is it right, their right. business? You know, and am I yeah. hiding it if I just don't say anything about it? that was a powerful moment
2: yeah and and i was going to say as you were saying that that whole Mm -hmm. thing there that passing is a certainly a term in the gay community as well and and not so much now but much more so you know earlier on in in the more the the civil rights struggle and i was really kind of i've been wondering where the name chin riley comes from and i was Mm -hmm. hoping and it may have been in the novels from where the name comes i don't know but um I was just wondering in this episode if they would talk about like if that was an adopted name, like the family took on a name in, in order to pass. Because a lot of Jews fleeing the Holocaust took on different surnames in order yes. to pass. And right. I'm just wondering if that's where Chin Riley comes from. That's um. Really quickly, um, our our good buddy... Michael Phillips says, I don't even like courtroom dramas, but this might be my favorite Strange New World episode so far. Especially mm. if you're a member of a marginalized group, you're really going to get the feels from this one, right? Yes.
0: And I will say if you're not a member of a marginalized group, you will learn something um, yeah. about something you didn't know about. But I think everybody can relate to something where you just feel mm-hmm. different and you you know, sure. divide it. You know, yeah. Whatever that something is.
1: Yeah, and I'll, I have an example of that because I'm not a member of a marginalized group. I'm a white straight guy. You know. <laughs> you know what I mean? But well, it's, it's I, I
0: am. I will very
1: say liberal. though,
2: nerd used to be kind of a yeah. marginalized group.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll I'll say that. I mean, I'm I'm an atheist. I'm a socialist. I'm a very liberal person, and I work in a very blue collar industry. And right now, I'm working out in the country. And mm. because I was raised Southern Baptist. I'm in a situation all the time where I have to pass and I just make conversation about my church and about um, things like that, you know, that wow. to, to get by with customers, because I, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't need the hassle, essentially, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's not the same thing, right? But I mean, I think everyone to some degree has mm-hmm. been in that situation where you, you just keep who you actually are under wraps and pass for who people expect you to be or and, what will be advantageous to you. And like I said, I, I want to just make very clear. I'm, I'm that is not the same thing as a black person passing for a white person or a trans person passing or a gay person passing. I, I get right. that. But I wanted to say that that is something that a lot of people face as well.
0: Right. But you know, it can Charles, because even as, even as a straight white guy, I think of other strange things happen. Now, if anybody has a problem with this, you know, email me, I remember when Barack Obama was running for president, and this was, you know, years after 9/11. But one of the things that came out of 9/11 was they they created those little flag lapels, mm. American flag lapels. Right. And I remember, and this is a personal feeling. I remember it had it became, and in certain circles still is, a measure of your love for this country, whether or not you wear a flag pin. From. And I remember one time okay. President Obama was campaigning, and he didn't wear it, and Fox News mm-hmm. and others lost their minds. And he said, right. I just didn't feel like putting it on today. Now, some people will say you're just showing patriotism for your country. I, I'm i going to be honest. I consider it damn near close to being a brown shirt because you shouldn't ever have to wear anything or act a certain way to prove that you love your country. Yeah. And the reason right. I say that for you, Charles, is there were white guys, white men, white Democrats who also became called un-American simply because they didn't put a freaking flag pin on. Yeah. So then, do you put it on so people leave you alone? You know, do, right. do, do you put it on rather than lose your voters? I mean, it's an insane thing. Um, I know I'm rambling on real quick. I am going to say something real quick, and I hope she doesn't mind. My wife said one time, she talked to her, my late mother-in-law, and they were talking about passing. And my wife is doing the thing that many of us our age did who grew up during the civil rights era. You know, we're like, you know, fight the power, burn this mother down, all this kind of stuff. I'd never do that. And my mother-in-law, who was born in the 40s, she said, Hell, if I could have passed and walked in the front door mm, and not gotten yeah. beaten and not got called an N-word and not got arrested by the cops, mm. I sure as hell think I might have passed. Wow. Right? And wow. it's like, huh. So there goes all my righteous anger about people who passed and wanting to call them cowards and say, I never yep. would have, I can't pass for white. I can't. And my mother in law was super dark skinned and she's like, she if I could have passed, I think I might have thought about it.
2: Wow. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. Comments. Where do we go from there? It's <laughs> got some comments. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matt Swetman says, if I had Matt. to find fault and that's a stretch, I would say that the Starfleet regulation that exonerates Una felt a bit deus ex, ex machina. I can't even get that word out. <laughs> um But at the same time, though, I will say that I think that the way that the episode was written Mm -hmm. and this might be a little contrived, but the way that the that the argument resolved itself, where every like she got Una to tell that story and every piece. And and when she attacked April, all those things fed into her final argument of of um starfleet regulation 8314 Mm -hmm. or whatever it was and she illustrated every point of that law yeah with things that had happened in the courtroom and i just thought that was so good
1: yeah i thought the defense attorney um i mean she knew exactly where she was going the whole time even although we, the audience didn't so when she finally revealed it i thought it was a big moment and i mean i think she's every good as like a samuel t cogley she yeah. didn't go the the extent of locking everybody <laughs> in a, a starship that was plummeting into the atmosphere. <laughs> but I mean, she, she had that courtroom theatrics, you know, where she had yeah. her plan. She yeah. established it quietly over the course of the episode and then re- revealed it dramatically at the end. And I thought that was
2: great. Yeah. I want to add, and, and I hope I don't mess the name up, but the actress, Yatida Badaki, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: phenomenal great she really was my god she was so good i had never seen her before so i had to look her up and realize i think she starred in american gods among other things and i agree alan she was incredible Jeez. the the barely veiled contempt that she had for una Mm -hmm. which again Mm -hmm. as, as a black man who's had these conversations about black people who pass what we call selling out i got it And then she Mm. did some really great, subtle acting. When Una told the story about how she got her leg broken defending her cousin, which she evidently never knew, there was this little look in her eyes like, I didn't know that. Mm. And I thought that was amazing. God.
2: Um, Yeah. (laughs) Everything about this episode was just... Yeah,
0: she's apparently a giant Star Trek nerd as well.
2: Yeah, she, on, the, really? on, the,
1: on the ready room. She kept blowing um, Rebecca Romaine's mind with how much she knows about Star Trek.
0: Seriously. Up. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, that is yeah. so neat to find out. And I think, Matt, I agree with I understand what you're saying, because I actually wrote in my notes. I said, uh, is this a little too contrived that they're going to let her go? Because, you know, there's one thing to flee asylum at the moment you're being attacked. But I, like Alan, as you said, I think she framed it just well enough mm-hmm. so that even though she wasn't actively being chased by a mob when she joined the Starfleet, you can mm-hmm. make a stretch. But she also did something else. And I think that's really powerful about this show. She did something years ago. There was a series in a movie called Paper Chase. And there was a scene in the TV series where John Houseman, who started, was talking to someone about the law. And they were basically saying, well, the law is the law. And I thought, Professor, you said that the law should never have emotion. And John Houseman said something I thought was interesting. He said, in the application of the law, yes, there should be no emotion. Mm -hmm. But in the writing of the law, in the understanding and the detailing of the Mm -hmm. law, you must have a heart and you must consider situations that are not going to be cut and dried. And what wow. she yeah. did here was she shamed them yeah. into looking at this certain way. But what I love about it is we know that 100 and so years later, this hasn't been resolved because we got mm-hmm. Dr. Bashir. And right. I love that. This was not a a, a super happy ending. It was the right. first step. Yeah. And I love that.
2: Michael, and, Phil, it, I'm sorry. You go right ahead, and then I'll get Mike.
1: I was just going to say the great thing about where we are in Star Trek now is they can slot this episode in. Yeah. If fits in nicely before DS9, they can always yeah. pick it up again with Prodigy. Right, you know, And you can continue yeah. the story yeah. now, you know? I'm mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead with Michael Phillips' comment.
2: Michael says, I loved Nira. She was a great character, and Yatita Badaki was incredible. All the performances were great, too. And the dialogue writing was stellar. Mm-hmm. And then he says he'll stop before he starts gushing. You, <laughs> you gush all all you want. We will be yeah, every gush that you send us.
0: <laughs> right. you another, another throwback feeling I had, I still think that no series any series has approached the uh, uh, the original series in the quality of the guest stars sometimes and in a lot of later series guest stars are not as important as they were in the original series i mean we talk about all the people you know joan collins is judith keeler and i forget her name charles but in the metamorphosis um mm-hmm. uh, the actress in metamorphosis and all these others she playing the lawyer. She was on that level. She reminded yep. me of the days when a guest star came on and just absolutely belonged and dominated, mm-hmm. and you will remember them. And that's yeah. kind of rare sometimes in Star Trek,
1: especially nowadays. for one-off guest stars. I'll say that DS Nine, yeah, I think exceeded the original series as far as because they also brought their guest stars back,
0: right? You know? right. And so they right. were,
1: they they came back again and again. Great. But yeah, I mean, I think that she was um, a fantastic guest star in this episode. Absolutely. I thought she was. I thought she was great. I thought that even like the the compliment of the board the tribunal i thought they were great
0: yes and mm -hmm. i got a
1: kick out of the the one guy being the space command representative like an um marshal you know like oh yeah space (laughs) man and that was the guy who plays linus who played
2: the tellarite oh that's right yes yeah yeah oh that's right i completely forgot about that yeah
0: something else i thought worked and everybody talked about the fact that um that uh, Captain Pike wasn't much in the original uh, in the season two premiere, right? And he's not super involved in this episode. He has relatively short screen time, but I tell you, as it's used, it works. Mm-hmm. It works,
2: and Absolutely. you know what? That's a very good point, Keith. Because. Mm-hmm he was involved very much in the like first half of the episode where they're getting all this stuff established. And he's the one who gets Nira involved in the thing. And then he kind of sits back and watches the proceedings just like everybody else does. And Mm -hmm. I thought this, they were setting it up to where Nira was, her argument wasn't swaying the, 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 the tribunal and he was going to step in and say, put me on the stand and he's gonna make his big captive yes. speech. And they yes. didn't do that. They yeah. left yes. it in Nera's hand. They left it for her to resolve the the plan that she had put in place the whole time. She, they left it for her to take her argument to its conclusion without having to have Forgive me for saying this. This is a stupid thing to say, but without having to have a white man come in and save it for her. And I thought that was so damn good.
0: Mm. It caught me off guard, Alan. I agree with you. After decades of Captain Kirk and even sometimes Picard making speeches, I thought yeah. he was going to get on the stand. especially when it was like that all you S-H-I-T moment when they are like, Hey, when did he know about it? It's like, ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> and when, when the, the Vulcan dude um, says, okay, that was a really nice emotional argument but it comes down to the law and you broke the law and we're going to bust you for it and it looked like the case was going to get lost yes Mm. Um, let me get a couple of comments Um, Michael Phillips says following up on what Keith said one of my personal philosophies in life is reason is logic plus compassion if two streams of logic conflict side with compassion
0: Mm. wow that's well said
2: yeah very much I like that Adam Levenstein says, I think they're consciously trying not to make it the captain Pike show. Could be. Yeah. That's, that's a very good observation. And Matt Sweatman says exactly. Alan having Pike's testimony. And I didn't read that simply because he called <laughs> me having Pike's testimony saved the day would have weakened this episode. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And I am yeah. so glad that they didn't go that route. Yeah. Even though I was kind of wanting a big captain Pike moment. Hmm. But the episode didn't need it. And what they're saying is Nira didn't need it.
1: Right. And Keith, you you had posted um, a story on our Facebook group that Mm -hmm. they had sort of um, backed off on Anson Mount's, you know, involvement in the first episode, at least because they were giving him more time to spend with his newborn baby and wife. Mm -hmm, Um, So I wondered if that was the case here where they restructured the episode or structured the episode. Um, because like, like Alan, I mean, he, the first five, 10 minutes, you get a lot of Captain Pike. He's on this yep. mission mm-hmm. to the other planet. And then he's sort of watching Star Trek on TV with everybody else. <laughs> and then he goes back <laughs> to his cabin to watch Star Trek there away from the crew. You know what I mean? He sort of back yeah. sort of faded into the background as the episode went on. Yeah. Um, I mean, and now we're two episodes in with limited involvement from Pike. And I mean, given the premise for next week, I don't know that we're gonna get a lot of involvement from him there either. I, I wonder if we're going to wind up, uh, with a little bit of a situation like we had with Una in season one, where we're feeling like she was not used to the full. I mean, I, I love to right. see them using the rest of the crew. I yeah, love right. that the defense attorney in this episode got to carry it and save the day on her own with no Captain mm-hmm. Pike coming. I'm, I'm, I have no problem with that. But I'm wondering, you know, just over several episodes, if we're going to be right. feeling like where the hell's Captain Pike?
0: <laughs> I think so too, because I mm-hmm. actually had read something else from the showrunners where they, they, they actually said you're going to see a lot more of the other characters this season. Right. And now, like you're saying, I do. I also wonder if that's because they were accommodating Anson Mount, not mm. just because they want to expand the other mm-hmm. characters' roles. I Also, I thought you said something interesting, Charles, because I wrote in my notes, this is actually the first time we've gotten much with Una because she was kind of absent in the first season, honestly. Yeah. Um, and I think some of that was Rebecca Romaine's schedule as well. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I would like to see more of her. But I do think in the, at least the first half of the season, I don't know if we're going to see a lot of, Pike as the central character.
1: Right. I mean, how do we, how do we feel about that?
0: I'm good.
2: I'm good I'm with, with it. that. If they can, I mean, if it's they can not keep the call the show.
1: It.
2: Yeah. <laughs> there were times in DS9 that I felt that way about Cisco. Mm. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. and part of that is that DS9 very much was an ensemble show. Right and there were plenty of episodes where he does a walk on at the beginning and a walk Mm. on at the end. And the rest of the episode is carried by whoever, you know, Kira or Bashir or Garrick or whoever. And, and, you know, I don't necessarily ever felt that he was sidelined, but there were times when I was like, I wish there was some more, you know, Cisco in this episode. Yeah. 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 But it it was, it's a bold move. And if you have a cast of, Actors and characters that are that strong, anybody can carry any episode. Yeah. And I hope that's what they're building toward in this show. Yeah.
1: And a character like Cisco, he was a strong enough character and a and a, a good enough commander that you don't need him in every episode. Right. You know, you don't forget who the commander of the station, is if if if, if right. you don't see Cisco for a couple of episodes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So exactly. I'm I'm hoping that Anson Mount can can do the same and I mean, I think it might be, you know, a product of them filming the show in Toronto is you got to work everybody's schedule out to get everybody to Toronto, (laughs) you know?
2: Yeah. Michael Phillips is saying one subtle thing that viewers might have missed is that the fight for Una by Pike may be fracturing his relationship with, uh, yes, with Patel and his friendship with uh, Admiral April. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: will the, say I, I liked the getting a little bit of backstory on April in this episode. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't just show up to deliver the exposition. You know, you yeah. find a little a bit, a little bit about how he feels about the characters. You find out a little bit about his command style. And I thought that I thought it was really effective that she you know, he established that he wouldn't have, you know, recommended Una because of the regulations and she's like well how about these four times you violated the regulations the highest regulation in starfleet (laughs) you know what i mean and calling him out on it because that you know it's 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 easy for starfleet officers to say this is the this is the law but i mean when you're out there you make your choices you know i mean that's part of being a starship captain
2: yeah yes
0: yeah not to get off on a prime directive tangent but but one of the one of the violations or two of the violations he did i've always had a problem with this as well which is, you know, the prime. most people uh, falsely think the prime directive pretty much only applies to just don't contact pre-warp societies, but it, right. it has other things. Mm-hmm. Because two of the things he did, he saved pre-warp societies from basically um, gen- from a annihilation of an entire species. Right. And I've always thought, and, you know, I support the prime directive. I've always thought that's a stupid, a kind of a stupid interpretation of the prime directive. Yeah. You can save them without revealing yourselves, but there are still some who say, well, that's just the na- natural law of things. But the other thing I thought was interesting about April is when he had his confrontation with Chris, what I thought was intriguing, what he said was basically because he didn't know the strategy of the lawyer. And he's like, you brought her here. And then he's like, basically, I didn't get to tell all the good that Una's done. And it was basically thanks to you and that crazy lawyer you brought yeah, in. Right. So he wanted a lawyer that was going to say, well, tell me why you support her so much once you you know, you know put her on the ship. Right. And he, yeah. he was upset because yeah. he thought the case was lost because he didn't get to offset this statement i would not have recommended her with all the great good she's done which also yeah. made the reveal and the strategy of the lawyer even better to me mm. i thought that was great how they weave that in
2: yeah Right. And sort of a sort of adjacent to that point, um, you know, Mm -hmm. they made a big point at the beginning of the episode when Battelle and Pike were in the in the mess hall. And Mm -hmm. he's like, you're going to put me on the stand. Right. And she turned it on him and showed him why that would not be a good idea. Why having him on the stand would be disastrous. And when the information about him having known for four months that she was Illyrian, came out that's why i thought they were going to put him on the stand that's why i thought he was going to rush in and mm-hmm. be the save the day guy because yeah. they had firmly established that earlier in the episode and then did the thing that you know made it possible for him to to then testify so i and that's a double reason that it took me by surprise that they didn't do that and i'm right i'm so glad they didn't okay a couple of things matt sweatman says i think during I was thinking during Rebecca remains performance that I had no idea she had this in her as an actor. Okay. He also says if it had been Kirk instead of April and they had the list every time he broke general order one <laughs> dot dot dot. <laughs> right. Yes. They would still be going. <laughs> well, but, and I think that applies to Picard too. Mm-hmm. I sure. think it applies to any of them because of them. you know General Order One is the the prime directive, and prime being the operative word there, it is the number one law. But when you're out there, you have to make judgment calls, and you know, no matter how good a law is written, you it doesn't it doesn't address every situation that you're going to you know right. in, encounter. So, yeah. I think yeah. that can apply to any captain. Yeah. chain come on <laughs> yes. well, it's just part of being a starfleet captain i mean the, right the, the interesting part of the show is that you're
1: you have to make the choices it falls on the captain to exactly. make these hard tough choices if you could ask you know starfleet command what to do every t- every week it'd be a boring show <laughs> right
2: it was, because That's, just the amount yeah. of time it takes to get a message back sometimes <laughs>
0: right yeah one of the greatest star trek of all was um uh, the balance of terror when at the end of the episode, after the death and destruction of the Romulan ship, Uhura comes up to Kirk and says, we finally heard back from Starfleet Command. They said they'll support any decision you make. <laughs> right. And, and he has this look on his face, this kind of ironic look, yeah. you know, because he couldn't wait.
2: Yeah. The
1: adventure's over.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> um, just super quick. I want to say we have about 20 minutes left and we've gotten a lot of comments from Adam and Michael and Matt. And I know there's more people than that watching. Put mm-hmm. your let us know what it is that you thought about this episode. Yeah. And if you agree with what we're saying, if you have different points to make, um, jump in and wherever you're watching YouTube or Facebook and just put it in the comments thingy and we'll see it and we'll get to it. And And I'm really curious to know um, other people's reactions to this one. Absolutely. Now, what do we think of the production design in this one?
0: I actually thought it was good because it's funny, Charles, you say that One, my first note was great. Cityscape in the very okay. opening scene, okay. yeah. sitting in the window. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought they.
1: I mean, they. They really. They really tried to evoke that that court martial aesthetic with the, mm-hmm. the chorus yes. itself. 100 I mean, percent. You had the like the the things they have their hands on the lie detector thing. They didn't use yeah. it, but they had no. it there, which is nice. They had it, and they which had was there. an
2: interesting touch. If you're not going to have it in the script, why make it? But it, right. it looked great, and it made me so happy to see it. Yeah, and the bell and yes. the, the uniforms.
1: They did their own version of the TOS dress uniforms.
2: I was I was going to say those dress uniforms looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Man, I love them.
1: Yeah, I think that's just I don't really care for the extra ornamentation on the shoulders, but yeah, that's, yeah. that's not a big criticism. That's a perfect right. reference, you know, But I, I, mean, I mentioned to Veronica as we were watching it because I complain a lot about when they have Star Trek characters wearing like, you know, clothes that look like they came from Macy's, but I thought that the defense the <laughs> attorney, she had nice
2: spacey outfits, you know,
0: yeah. give me
1: a spacey outfit.
2: They're
0: right. In the future. Yes.
2: <laughs> yes. <Macy's. laughs> Maybe Kurt picked some outfits up when he was in the revolving glass door. Right? <laughs> Brought yeah. him back to the future. I did
1: think it was a little distracting that they redressed the Starfleet command set from discovery. I thought that was, a little bit strange, but I mean, there's a long history of that in star Trek. It's just weird. Yeah, sure. because It's 900 years in the future. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But yeah. I thought, I like what they did with it. I liked that. They, they made it look more like a courtroom and they had sort of the, the murals or carvings or whatever on the walls. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I thought yeah. it looked, Supre- I thought it looked fantastic.
2: Yeah. Very Supreme court looking. Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say a thing that you're going to be shocked Hear me say, because I've never brought it up before. (laughs) Okay, but this episode, along with Measure of a Man and Drumhead and other things, just shows how great a like Star Trek JAG series could be. Right. I want. I mean, I've been saying it forever. I want a a Starfleet medical drama, a Starfleet JAG office drama. Right. I mean, you can do anything with Star Trek. It doesn't have to be spaceships exploring space, right? Yeah, it I'd can like be. It. it can be, you know, a, a, a somebody exploring the law. Yeah, I don't really you know about her. Yeah, Nira. Nira. Okay. Yeah, and I, I fully expect we're going to see her again this season because I think this Illyrian issue so. is going to come up again, um, not in the same way. And mm-hmm. not her in the same uh you know function in the episode, but I, I think that we're gonna see, even if we don't this season, I think we will next season. Yeah. She's just too good a character to to have a one-off like that. Yeah, they'll bring her back in some capacity. Yeah. Um there are, are qu- oh, questions sorry, okay. you go ahead. You
0: there go ahead. are questions that this raises because we're talking about genetic engineering in our in our modern times, and I and I put in my notes one thing is I cannot believe that every single planet in a federation does not do genetic engineering and enterprise (laughs) block says they do genetic engineering on their planet. Mm -hmm. And I cannot believe that there are some planets who have like, and the Vulcans, honestly, they do genetic engineering by selective breeding. They may not be going and modifying their DNA, but even in modern times, they still breed families. They arrange marriages for what they consider to be the best stock. So that's a Mm -hmm. type of genetic engineering. And I find it interesting that, because of Earth's complete freakout over the eugenics war, it's a law that that basically holds in all of the Federation and all of Starfleet. Now, some of this is Rottenberry's influence, but you got to believe in real life that Romulans and Klingons and all these other races would have mm-hmm. genetically engineered warriors, if nothing else in the military. Oh, yeah. And so yeah. I, what you were saying about the legal thing, Alan, I think is very fascinating because… By the time of uh, next generation, there's a thousand planets in the Federation. I cannot believe that that same attitude about genetic engineering would hold everywhere. So there's some interesting conversations about that to be had.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Adam Levenstein says Nordstrom, the final frontier. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Phillips says the idea of a quote, natural state is one that pings gay and trans people being called unnatural is often lobbed in their direction. So it's interesting to hear that as the prosecution's core argument. Hmm. Mm. That's true. And Elaine, hi Elaine says, I loved the scene between Ortega and Mbenga while they were watching Spock talking to the other Vulcan and I did like that. And Mbinga was, was able to 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 clock Spock's subtle emotion. And mm-hmm. I loved Spock coming over and saying, I apologize that you had to witness that outburst. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I liked it. it. was a
2: nice tie-in to
1: Mbenga's original backstory on the original series where he had interned yeah. on Vulcan. He had a little right. more insights on Vulcan,
0: Vulcans than you know the the rest of the crew had. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um yeah. i also thought that the differences between him and spock and, and there's been a lot of conversation about that i think sometimes people forget that logic the term logic logic is not the same as morality or ethics Morale, logic is a thing and so right. you have mirror spock who says you know terror must be maintained it is the logic of history and so right. logic can and then you have the guy um in picard who was who's basically a vulcan thug the, 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 the gun runner or whatever, and he used logic to become a criminal. And so I thought it was very interesting because logic is not a moral thing. And so you can have Spock on one side who uses logic to say Una is needed because the Federation itself and Starfleet will suffer without her. And then you have a, another Vulcan who says logic dictates that she broke the law. It mm-hmm. is an important law, and therefore she must go. They are both using logic, even though we know Spock is friends with her and right. he said that which is I I had a very slight quibble about Spock saying I'm a friend. She's my friend. But anyway, um, (laughs) but I thought it was very interesting that logic can be used honestly to just support your position. And the Vulcans do that quite a lot.
2: Oh yeah. Well, and it was Janeway who said to Tuvok, logic Mm -hmm. can be used to justify anything. Yeah. And she is not wrong. Um, I I also want to say that I loved the scene um, when, (laughs) whatever her name christina chong um goes to uhura and says break the law for me because i need to find out a thing right
0: wow Uhura
2: would not do it yeah Yeah. that was great i who i forgot to mention last week is now sporting the the beautiful green uh hoop earrings Mm -hmm. that are so iconic yeah um and then finally i want to get uh mr eric watts is saying i was surprised there was no acknowledgement on pike's part of Spock having stolen the ship in the previous episode. For me, that was an important conversation that was conspicuous in its absence. Also, where was Pellia? Mm-hmm. Well, um, we know that Pellia is going to be a recurring character, not a regular, and she has never met Una, so she has really no narrative part in this uh, story. So right. sure. I, I don't mind her not being there this one episode. Yeah. But, but I Spock was just think- saying...
1: Go ahead. I, was, I was just thinking on our Facebook group that it would be a missed opportunity if Pike doesn't have a, a conversation with Spock about the fact that Spock stole the Enterprise to mm-hmm. rescue Absolutely. a crewmate, especially Absolutely. given that that's what Spock does for Pike in the Menagerie, right? You right. Know what I mean, so right. I, I think that that conversation's got to be coming, and if it doesn't, they they miss the ball on that one.
2: I agree. I agree with that. I mean, yeah. and I don't think it should be like an offhand comment, like mm-hmm. like Pike, you know, making a sly like. Oh, yeah, I I know what you did, you know, two episodes ago, that kind of thing. I think and don't it, do an enterprise style
1: where it's like, I hope you don't have to do that for me someday. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
0: funny. My, Michael Phyllis says something I thought was very interesting. He talked about how when you call people certain names, you know, there are slurs for gay people and so forth, like that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. at one point, Una talked about when terms were hurled at her: augment, moddy, and freak. And I know I told this story a long time ago, but I actually says as being a black person, of course, everybody knows about the N-word. And I think I mentioned this once before on the show, that when I was a young man, I learned that one of the nastiest words I've ever been called was sir. Hmm. Because I would go to stores where white people obviously hmm. didn't want to serve me. And they would say, sir. And it was dripping with so much hatred and venom that the word yeah. stung. Mm-hmm. And, right. and I think of that because, you know, the word like cardi. Okay, what's yeah. Cardi? That was Cardassian. And it became, yeah. it's you know, even now people are like, wow, that it sounds like a really racist term, Cardi. Yeah. And I thought, so when they said augment and modi, those words mean something mm-hmm. in a really hard way, and I thought that was a good scene there. Oh, yeah. Because it's not the exact word so much as it is the intent behind that word. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I like when
1: Star Trek, they show us beyond the prejudices we have today, yeah. but they have their own prejudices that they have to grapple with, you know, because
0: people are people,
1: you know? Um, But I I, I like seeing that in Star Trek.
0: Yeah. I was raised in a church where I was told that homosexuality was a sin and I never believed it, but I had to fight against that. And I, and to this day, you know, I was, and then I know people who think that women shouldn't be over men because the Bible, the Christian Bible, the New Testament, King James Bible, straight up says in the New Testament, women shouldn't have authority over men. Mm -hmm. And then when people attack me with that sometimes, then I would, you know, or people will attack me about homosexuality in the Bible. I'll bring up the one about if it's a woman. I'll bring up that line. It's like, yeah, but the Bible says you shouldn't have authority over a man. Do you have authority over man? Well, that's different. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. It's always <laughs> yeah. different. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, I was raised Southern Baptist in Georgia, oh, so, so a, you know, a lot of my life has been trying to grow beyond my original programming. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All I'm of us. Start calling you data. That's right. <laughs> All of us. And I think that's what's great about that. I love what you just said there. You're right. Because uh I love Star Trek when it I've always said this. I dislike when Gene Roddenberry started wanting to portray the people of the 24th and 25th centuries as perfect. Right. I love Star Trek yeah. best when it's beings like Kirk and Cisco. They still have those freaking human flaws and prejudices. Yeah. We mm-hmm. must acknowledge them and work past them. Yeah.
1: I'm a killer, but I'm not going to kill today.
2: Yes, you know? exactly.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. God, that's
2: one of my favorite Kirk moments. I right. yeah. love that line so much.
0: Yeah. Or how about Cisco, a black man who's literally telling his song, son, I don't want you hanging out with those people. Right. Yes. Those <laughs> yeah, that's
2: right. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam says this whole episode was, in my opinion, an allegory about anti-trans laws that are popping up all over the place. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely had that parallel, but it had parallels to like numerous other specific prejudice situations that that somehow like were enveloped into this one really clear and really well developed narrative. Yeah. And I I agree with you, Adam. But another
1: one that occurred to me was the idea of taking their daughter to a friendly doctor to try to get medical care.
0: Because yeah. that's yeah.
1: been something with the abortion debate that's been going exactly. on and the abortion laws being stripped away that there has been Absolutely. a real thing in the U.S. Absolutely, you know, I think that there's a, a lot of a, like, like Alan said, a lot of different, you know, bigotries that are wrapped up in this.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. There were there were very specific moments where it hit the trans thing and it hit yep. the abortion thing and it hit the Holocaust and it hit absolutely like you know the, the everything. I mean it hit unjust laws. It it yeah. God, yeah, is, what an amazing I mean, and this is 55 minutes. And right. look what it was able to do in 55 minutes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um i'll be honest uh, i love strange new worlds but i thought about this episode what uh Spock what spock said to kirk when he talked m5 and it turned stuff off and Spock, kirk said you didn't think i had it in me spock and he said no sir <laughs> i didn't th- i didn't think they had it in them <laughs> yeah <'cause> wow <laughs> <laughs> this was it was it was a quantum leap above the quality of a show that i already love it was mm-hmm. it was yeah. surprising it didn't have any of the stuff that that sometimes irritates me about the new student new track shows. I thought it was yeah really good. And again, it's one of the strongest guest stars I've like you said the Charles One Shot guest stars I have seen in just ages. Yeah. The director just didn't the get ages. bored and turn the camera upside down for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: That's always good. <laughs> you know what it makes me think of too. Um, Next Generation started out okay. Yeah, You were fine with it yeah. at the time because it was right. the first new Star Trek, televised Star Trek that you had had in, you know, a long time. So right. you were mm-hmm. just enjoying the fact that it was Star Trek. You, as you get down to seasons three, five, six and seven, you know, you look back and and season one and season two seem really quaint. You know, they seem kind of, you know, we were we were just trying to make a new version of the old Star Trek, that kind of thing. but. Right when you go back and watch in order measure of a man is the moment where next gen takes that big step forward into what it can be. Like this is the show that next generation is going to become. And I feel like, strange new worlds as great as it has been so far and season one was incredibly strong i think that this does that same thing and it's a courtroom drama just like measure of a man was and it's the thing that says it's almost like drawing a line in the sand it is like this is what this show is going to be about this is how good this show is going to be yeah or like when ds9 did duet And it's like, oh, this
1: is a whole different caliber of show. Exactly, you know. Exactly.
2: Holy cow! Yeah. And then again, and they're talky episodes. They're not action episodes. They're talky. Right.
0: Right. And then what I love about it is the the true reality is that there's a cadet in that in that time in that universe. There's a cadet right now who's also genetically engineered, who's applying to Starfleet, who will get turned down because they're genetically engineered because they didn't solve it for everybody. They solved it for one person. Yeah, the struggle continues, and I and I kind of love that.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, because
0: that's that's too pat,
1: you know, that's too convenient. If we, hey, guess what? We solved racism this week. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Good good job, everyone.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's kind of like in the United States, and people were so upset, and I absolutely get the United States when Bill Clinton was president. You had the so-called "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." Right, and you know anybody, anybody who thought gay people in the military just not revealing they're gay was going to last, nobody believed that crap. And so but the struggle continued. But at the time, as you said, you sometimes have to judge thing for the times during at the time. That was a radical move. Mm -hmm. As as crazy as that sounds now, it was a radical move at the time. And then we finally Mm -hmm. wake to our sense and go, what the hell? You know, seriously, (laughs) don't ask, don't tell. That's literally one of the stupidest things. When I heard it at the time, I thought this is the stupidest thing I ever heard of. But I talked to a lot of people and I listened to a lot of, you know, pundits and stuff. At that time, that was considered a super radical move by Bill Clinton. Mm. Which is kind of insane. And it just shows that, you know, was that old thing that Martin Luther King quote: the arc of history moves slowly. Um, right. Sometimes justice is deferred generations and it yeah. sucks.
1: Yeah, and I, mm. I, I like the theme in this episode that just because it's the law doesn't make it just. Yes. right. Know. Like just because yes. it's the law doesn't make it right. And right. I thought right. that was great. Now, one criticism I did have of this episode is that, and I know we're running out of time, um, mm. but Una told that story about the t- her 10-year-old friend and his family who were arrested. And so I want to know, did the Federation arrest the 10-year-old? What happened to that 10-year-old? She, yeah. that, we never found out yeah. what happened to Ivan. Like, yeah. it, it's, if Ivan is in a Federation penal colony, something's wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. that's not the Federation that we know. Um, Charles,
0: I agree. I agree.
1: Yeah. So Mom. that that is a Christmas I have this episode that... Yeah. The Federation shouldn't be arrested 10 year olds. Now maybe the 10 year old gets taken to foster care because his parents broke the law, you know, whatever. But the, that, that, that 10 year old, I hope did not wind up in a penal colony.
0: Well, it's interesting because they wanted, when they redid the charges against Una, they were going to ask for 20 years. Yeah. And I wrote in my thing, I I wrote the same thing as you did, Charles, even with all this stuff. I'm like, my God, the eugenics war is really jacked up earth. I mean, right. even if you catch people being genetically engineered. Sending them to jail for being genetically engineered, if they haven't like killed somebody or pulled a con, that's right. nuts to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. N- nuts.
1: Yeah. So I guess we're gonna see. I mean, we're two episodes into the season. I think they're they're killing it so far. Yeah, man. Mm-hmm. I, I would like to see more. We're gonna pop
2: this one. <laughs>
1: yeah, I would like to see more Pike as the episodes go along. Yes. I, yeah. I hope he doesn't get backburned this year. But uh, yeah. I'm I'm loving what they're doing so far with the show.
2: Yes, me too. Been,
1: this has been a great season. Yeah. All right, Keith, where can people find more of you?
0: You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and on Facebook, primarily the ESO network, Facebook groups. And of course on earth station track where I am a top contributor. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. You wear it like a badge of honor. He's yeah. earned it,
2: man. <laughs> and how about you, Alan? Um, Okay. I've got a couple of other podcasts that um, people might enjoy. One of them is a Doctor Who podcast, Doctor Who A to Z. The other one is a music podcast, um, Modern Musicology. And if you enjoy watching live shows like this one, this coming Sunday night is our 75th episode and we're going to do a live show. We're going to be doing what makes a great vocalist. And uh, we have a we have a pretty good show planned and I'm looking forward to it. It's our first live show. So I would love to see a few people. Oh, God, my friend Ed Degree says, what is Doctor Who? That's a long running joke. He, <laughs> he he knows well what the hell Doctor Who is. <laughs> um, so look for Modern Musicology, our Facebook page or our YouTube channel and join our live show. Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. We would love to have you talk about um, some of the great vocalists in rock and pop music. Awesome. And how about us, Veronica?
0: Feltnerdy.com.
2: Yep. And if
1: you're in the Atlanta area, we've got uh, an adult show coming up on July the 22nd. That's a Saturday. Uh, which is the sinful the sinful variety show, which is a show that has burlesque, drag. We're bringing puppets and a little bit of burlesque as well. Um, but we'll be doing a, a very adult routine for that. But also, we're getting things confirmed now for DragonCon. We're confirmed for the Brit Track again. They're yes, having us nice. back for our regular Brit Track show, as well as we're doing a, a puppetry sort of workshop for kids with paper bag puppets. We're confirmed for the Trek Track for our regular show, where it talks about we have a couple of different ideas for full length adult shows to do at dragon con. We don't have those confirmed yet, but we're working on it. So hmm. uh, we've got things we're we're lined up and we have lined up for dragon con. So felt has got some big things coming along. So follow nice. felt on Facebook and where else Veronica.
0: Monkeying around a podcast about the monkeys.
1: That's right. And we just completed an interview with the touring bassist of Mickey Dolan's and the monkeys band, as well as a touring guitarist. Uh, our next episode, we're going to take a little bit of a left turn, and we're going to do our big report on the Flower Power Cruise with audio from the cruise, and nice. it's going to be it's going to be fun. Uh, so follow uh, monkeying around; it's uh, it's a fun show. And awesome. Veronica, do, do you have a closing for us this week?
0: Yes. Ad astra per aspera.
1: <laughs> and when all spells just say the episode title. <laughs>
2: I, thought
0: I forgot gonna say, the episode title and I was thinking, hey, that would be a great thing to say. That would And be. then I was like, hey, <laughs> the title. hey, it's written right there on the screen in front of me, so I don't have to, like, <laughs> try and look it up. Good job. Good job, yeah. Monica. <laughs> right.
1: Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper.
0: This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Public store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com.